I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Hello and welcome back to HR Coffee Time. It's wonderful to have you listening today. I'm your host, Faye Wallace, a career and executive coach with a background in HR And I've made this podcast especially for you to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR or people career without working yourself into the ground. Today's episode is the first guest episode of 2024, and it's focused on a hot topic for the beginning of the year, because January is often all about goal setting and encouraging the people in your organisation to set themselves up for success which means you might be busy thinking about or working on your company's performance management and appraisal process. Whether you're looking to revamp your current process or you're starting from scratch with it, or you just need a little inspiration to make what you have even better, this episode is here for you. I'm excited that you're going to get to meet Lucinda Carney, You might know her from her popular podcast, The HR Uprising, or her number one Amazon bestseller, How to Be a Change Superhero. Lucinda brings a wealth of knowledge from her 20 years in corporate HR. She is a chartered psychologist and a recognized voice on many HR topics, especially around people management and change. When she's not podcasting or writing, Lucinda is the founder and CEO of Actors Performance Management Software, which was launched in 2009 and it has since gone from strength to strength and has more than 70,000 users across the world. Lucinda talks us through what performance management is and how it's changed over the years. She shares her recommendations for doing it as well as possible and has brilliant practical tips that you can start using straight away. I hope you're going to enjoy learning from her as much as I did. Let's go ahead and meet her now. 
Welcome to the show, Lucinda. It's so fabulous to have you here. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm quite excited to have the boot on the other foot. Well, that's great to hear. And for anyone listening who hasn't come across Lucinda's podcast before, it is absolutely fantastic. And when I was first thinking of starting HR Coffee Time, I actually sent Lucinda a sort of fan message saying how much I loved her show. So it's an extra special feeling to actually have you on the show today, Lucinda. Well, thank you. I'm so impressed of, of where you've taken your yours as well. So, I mean, I'm delighted that I was able to play a very small part in, in your success in terms of this because you're doing an amazing job with this podcast. Oh, thank you. And I really appreciate how encouraging and supportive you were when I got in touch with you and said, I'm thinking of starting a podcast. And you could have thought, oh, no, I don't want any competition. And you did the absolute opposite, which was go for it. It'll be great. So I discovered very early on from my interactions with you just how supportive the podcasting community is. So I think it's so important, isn't it, though, because it is about not just women, but we just need to hold each other up, right? It's so easy to think of a scarcity mentality and, you know, takes away for actually building each other up. This is a great way of collaboration and delivering value. And, and, and we don't need to see things like this as a threat, although some people do, sadly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I better stop saying thank you. I feel like I could just say thank you for the whole episode, to be honest, but I'll move us along to the main part of the show. And I always think it's helpful to start off with a definition of the main topic that we're focusing on, just so that we're all clear on exactly what it is that we're talking about. And especially when it comes to performance management, I think it can mean slightly different things to different people. So could I ask you to start off by giving us your definition? What do you see performance management as being? I think it's a really relevant question to start off with in terms of this topic. The reason being that many of your listeners, I'm sure, will agree that people hear the term performance management as sometimes saying they were performance managed out of the business. So it can have unhealthy connotations and be seen as something negative. My view is that performance management should be seen as a process, an organisational process, which helps people to deliver their best. It helps to manage performance. So And so therefore, it, it is about the processes that support someone to perform, which includes having clear objectives, having regular one-to-ones, having opportunities to develop, having appraisals in some form, and having some sort of career aspirations, those sort of things. So for me, the, all of those activities should be part of a performance management process. And I am emphasising process as opposed to an appraisal form or conversation, which is sometimes mistaken for it. And they should also be encompassed by good quality people management activities. So often I refer to people and performance management. So it's not just a process that doesn't involve humans. It's very much about a conversation. So a good performance management conversation would be all around those processes or a good process would be all of those things are included with high quality conversations between an employee and their line manager driving it. So it's not really concise. I'm sorry about that, Faye. But in terms of this, it's a process which incorporates all of those aspects and is very much supported by human contact and conversation. I thought that was perfectly explained and the exact amount of conciseness. So no need to apologise at all, Lucinda. And anyone listening will be able to hear your real interest and enthusiasm and passion for the topic. And I'm guessing it's partly that passion that led you to creating your company, which is called Actor Software, where you have performance management software. So 
I would love to know a little bit more about that. Am I right? Is it something you're really passionate about? Is that what led you to setting it up? Or is there a completely different story behind it? It is a passion in that I'm frustrated when it's done badly. So I'm very people oriented. And But you are right. The origin really goes back to when I was in-house. So my background was a learning and development person in two large businesses previously. And my the job that I did before I set up Actors Software, I was involved in, I led the lead learning development function and we were driving employee engagement. It was back in the days when engagement was quite a, a newish thing. So that does age me. And we realized that actually a lot of the questions when you're looking at employee engagement come down to clarity, opportunities to develop and grow. Does somebody understand me as a person? They come down to the people activities of the majority of, if you think of the well-known Gallup Q12 engagement, which was the original one, those questions are all down to how well somebody is managed. And they would all link to a line manager managing someone's performance in the way I defined it earlier. So clear objectives, opportunities to develop, and taking an interest in them as a person. It all ties together. And one of my frustrations has always been, and again, depending on your listeners, like when we're sort of in smaller businesses, sometimes it's even harder to get budget, if you like, for the things that are people-oriented. And what appealed to me was that if you could create this link or you could clearly see that um, performance management correlates with employee engagement, and we knew that from all of the data that's out there, employee engagement correlates with business results. So soft and fluffy stuff that's sometimes discounted, like managing people well, actually correlates with business results. Once you can make that connection, you can persuade your FDs or other people to take people development seriously and they see the link with these sort of things. So for me, it really made sense that you need to manage performance better. When, again, we look at classically in HR, and I am going back 15 plus years in terms of when I was doing it in-house, and that's why I realised when I left set up my own business, I thought that it would be easy to get some software system to support that performance management because it's very hard to manage a process as a learning and development or an HR professional if you can't see the data. If it's a paper-driven process or or a semi-automated process on something like SharePoint or a cobbled together you know, where you've repurposed another bit of software, it's very hard to effectively manage performance as an, an HR or OD professional because you can't see the data and it's not built for that. And that reduces your ability to add value to the business. And again, that means that we get criticised as a profession for not, not adding value not being strategic. Well, it's hardly surprising that we're not seen as strategic when we are you know, literally working around with, it's almost like on a chalk chalkboard um, relative to what every other aspect of the business does. Every other aspect in the business, sales always have the best bit of software, finance has the best bit of software, but HR learning and development are often much later down the line. So yes, I'm passionate about it. I've realized how passionate I am about it because I think that as HR professionals, we can add a lot of value. We need the right tools to do that. And making that link, which probably isn't overt for most board members, the people who handle handle the purse strings, making that link between good quality people and performance management, engagement and business revenues is a way in which they can start to join the dots and value what we do. So interesting to hear you say that. It's always fascinating to hear businesses' origin stories, isn't it? Weirdly, I can relate to your story, but in a slightly different way, because I looked into engagement results when I was last working in an in-house HR role, 
And what I saw was bringing some of the results down was a perceived lack of career development opportunities. And it was that and diving into that that kind of led me into becoming a career coach because I became more and more immersed in trying to find brilliant ways to help people with their careers and discovered a real passion for it. I remember a real challenge that the organisation had was being able to see the results from their engagement data and then figuring out what on earth to do about it to improve things. And there would often be initiatives that started to feel like people were losing enthusiasm for them. So it's great to hear how performance management can really support that. And that's actually quite a concrete, tangible step that organizations can take to help improve their engagement scores. Because, oh my goodness, I can't tell you the amount of time I spent studying the Gallup Q12. And for anyone who hasn't come across the Gallup Q12 survey, I will put a link in the show notes for you so you can see what the questions are. It's called the Q12 because there are 12 questions that everyone within the organization is given and asked to rate on. And Lucinda's already pointed out lots of them. And as she said, Gallup realized that actually the clue to engagement rests with the managers. But I had never taken it that one step further, Lucinda, and actually thought, from this point, you have got a very strong argument and a strong case for making sure that performance management is really handled effectively with proper systems in place. When you mentioned SharePoint, I thought, oh my goodness, I remember I had to become a, it was called a SharePoint super user so I could build our <laughs> performance appraisal, performance management process in SharePoint so that we could monitor what was happening and have some sort of data. And it's just hard, isn't it? Those, those sort of things, um, it's cobbled together. And probably if you think about it, when when there are, I mean, now, shameless plug, but when you've got a system that's purpose-built for it, which is what Actus is, and we've been evolving it over the last 10 years, then why would you want to do that? Because it's your time and, and you still have to do lots of manual data processing. So it, it, all of these things, it, it doesn't really make sense, but we often end up as the poor relation and no one will give, give us even a relatively small bit of budget and definitely compared to Salesforce or something like that, that other parts of the business might have relatively cost-effective, small um, budget to get something that's actually going to give you tools that could drive engagement and save loads of money as well, because engagement links to retention. How expensive is it when we lose key people? So it's making those those connections, I think, can be really helpful. And where we've been talking about the process, and you very clearly said right at the beginning, it's not about just filling in a performance appraisal form. I did a bit of research into performance management when I knew that we were going to be recording our episodes together, Lucinda, because I thought, although I know a bit about this, I really don't know a lot. And I know you're an absolute expert on it, so I thought I'd better swat up. And for anyone listening, I thought this might be quite interesting for you to hear as well. I unearthed some really interesting things about the history of performance management and the ideas behind it and how it's evolved. So I'm going to just look at my notes because I can't remember all of this without reading it and I'll read it through. There were a few things that I found that were really interesting and I'll make sure that I pop links to them in the show notes for you in case if you're listening and you think, right, I really want to learn more about this and really get this right, then you can take a deep dive into it. There are CIPD fact sheets, unsurprisingly, and a CIPD research report called Could Do Better, Assessing What Works in Performance Management. And there's a great book by Harvard Business Review that I downloaded and listened to on Audible called HBR's 10 Must Reads on Performance Management. 
The HBR book takes you through the history of performance management from when it was first introduced as a concept and then how it's evolved over the years. So they explained that it started as a way of measuring employees' past performance and then link that performance to rewards like bonuses or salary increases. But then in the 1960s, it changed to also be forward-looking. So as well as looking back over past performance, it gave people the opportunity to talk about their development and growth. Then in the 1980s, forced ranking was brought in. It was initially brought in by GE Electric in America, but it soon took hold in lots of organisations. And what that meant was that people were rated against each other to see who was considered top performing and who was considered bottom performing. And in the American organisations, not so much in the UK, they would actually then decide to dismiss people who were classed as bottom performing. Then more recently, over the past 10 years or so, some companies have started dropping annual appraisals altogether because they didn't think that they were adding enough value. They were often really unpopular and really time consuming. So instead of having annual appraisals, they started asking managers to have regular, less formal meetings where ratings aren't necessarily used. And I'm sure for people listening, they are going to be able to remember some of these things or they are still using some of these mechanisms. I think we're going to probably have people coming at this from all different angles. So I would absolutely love to know, Lucinda, what your opinion is and what you think the best way forwards is for companies when it comes to performance management. Absolutely. So that was a lovely sort of historic journey through. And what I would say is the could do better analysis by the CIPD is quite an interesting one. I, I allude to some of that. I've done a number of webinars and writing on this, so I allude to that. One thing that I'll provide you with that might be useful to your listeners is we did a research review, as in we asked a psychologist to come and do a research review of what works and what doesn't work, because lots of these are fads, if you like. They're things that then there wasn't necessarily any evidence base as to what worked or or didn't work. And some of them are very controversial, as in the GE literally sacking the bottom 10%, because if you think about it, from an equity point of view, how do you know that that rating is fair? Because you can't rate somebody fairly if you don't have very clearly defined smart objectives and if you don't have line managers who can fairly assess put someone's performance against those objectives and if you don't have some sort of moderation process which allows these assessments to be regulated there's huge room that's one of the reasons it became very unpopular there's huge room for inconsistency in some of these things that's not to say that you can't manage things like that it can be a useful way to distribute reward but there are pros and cons to those sorts of things and i think the ge approach was very 80s and a little bit over the top in terms of those things although lots of these things become spin and actually that takes me on to this whole thing about ditching there was lots of stuff in about 2012 saying oh we've ditched the annual appraisal i did some survey data recently with people and lots of people do aspire to continuous conversations i would recommend that continuous conversations actually is exactly what we're talking about when i defined the performance management process earlier That wasn't something that's a conversation once or twice a year. It should be something that is happening on an ongoing basis. And the evidence, this would be in could do better, but the the consistent evidence also came out of our research review. If you want to drive high performance, which is the purpose of performance management for a number of businesses, others might want to drive development and retention. And the most effective way of doing that is making sure that people have got clear goals and have regular feedback. So that is the most robust thing, not having an appraisal, 
not only development. In fact, if you look at data by the McLeod reports in the NHS, they illustrated that having a poor appraisal was actually more dangerous than having no appraisal at all. So what we need to do, and this links into managers really, is understand how important it is for people to have clarity. Again, that links to what we were talking about in terms of Gallup. The first question is, I know what's expected of me. So do people in your business have clear goals and objectives? And do they get regular constructive feedback against how they're performing against them? And that really should be what's going on on a regular basis. And the objectives should be more than KPIs. They should be more than tactical, have you done? It should be much more of something where where someone is growing. The objectives could be about developing a project. It should ideally be a bit more than the day job, in my opinion. You could also have development objectives, which therefore that links into people's career opportunities and their performance. So I'm kind of, it's hard not to jump around because there's lots of pieces that we're talking about here, but if I was looking at reshaping, thinking about how to do performance management and the guidance that I often share with clients and is regularly used is think about what you're trying to achieve from your performance management process. Is it, are you a, you know, a company where you do have to allocate reward in a discretionary way, in which case you do want it to be about performance. It needs to be fair. It needs to be transparent and it needs to be a, a, an effective structure but you still need to have clear objectives. Or is it about development? Say you're in a in a public sector organisation where you don't have discretion, it's literally just pay bans. Well, what do you want to do there? The issue for you there is retention and engagement. So you need to make sure it's really peoply, that people are getting development opportunities, that it's a quality conversation, and maybe people's performance could link to them having career opportunities. So it's horses for courses. You need to think, what's the purpose of performance management process in my organization and how can we gear it up to support that and then with that in mind how do we get it to be continuous now the organizations went ditch the annual appraisal as i said some of that smoke and mirrors i remember i won't name those but big companies were out there saying they were doing it but when you actually dug into it they still had a process behind the scenes that allocated reward some of the big professional services ones so it wasn't really go out and have a continuous conversation and you, you've got an HR audience. I mean, I ask everybody to ask them that. So if you say to people, go out and talk to your people regularly, what is actually going to happen? What do people understand by that? Is regularly daily? Is regularly weekly? Is regularly every six months? And talk to their people. Does that mean actually just check have they done what they need to do? Is it a lovely conversation of how they're getting on? Is it a quality conversation about, oh, they didn't get their objectives, what support they need from you with coaching in it. The odds are it will be highly varied and it's more likely to be poor quality because everybody's busy and managers in particular in this country have quite poor skills. It's often quite poorly role modelled. So you go out and say someone to do continuous conversations, they'll go, great, that means you're not going to be, you're not going to be telling me off for not having done my appraisal. I'll probably do very little. I mean, often managers will say, oh, I talk to my people all the time. But you survey the people and their engagement says that they're not having those conversations or the conversations are not of the nature that it are engaging. Let's link back to why we're doing this. It's to engage people. They're, they're much more about the manager's agenda. So I have a process that I recommend and um, we'll, I'll give you links to where people can go and get more information on it rather than 
because it's quite visual to explain it. But very simply, a model that's worked for a lot of businesses that I work with is if you think about like a clock face at the start of the year, usually it's aligned with your financial year. You set objectives. You would agree the objectives. Ideally, they would be aligned with your organizational objectives. Then we should be having regular one-to-ones. It just should be happening. But the one-to-ones should be quality one-to-ones where there's uh, an agenda and it's supporting the individual. At three o'clock, my view is that's a great time to talk about development. Because actually, if you think about those of us who've had once a year appraisals, and I think back to being in learning and development, I used to get at the end, full end of the financial year, a list of people's development needs. And I'd think, well, if only I'd known these earlier, then maybe it might have helped the person to be more successful. Because that's the point of them. So if, if me, at three o'clock, we could talk about you know, first quarter, has this person got any development needs that if we were to meet them real time or over the course of the year, it could help them to be more successful. Wouldn't that be amazing? Help them to be more engaged, more successful. And the half year point, that's a good point for sort of a mini appraisal. Are we on track? Are we off track? How do we get back on track? That's so important if you are going to align reward because you want no surprises at year end. If you have a competency framework, maybe it's a good time to talk about behaviours. At month nine, so three quarters of the way through the year, that's the point where we know, actually, these are our high performers and we want to keep people motivated. So maybe a little conversation about career aspirations there is useful. And then at the end of the year, you're talking about wrapping up the year. If you do ratings, you do that there. So by breaking down what you know, what sits in the old-fashioned, epic three-hour annual appraisal, which is painful for everybody, and which combines objectives, development, career, quite a lot of things that don't necessarily all sit together, then you're breaking it down into something which you're talking on a regular basis. And if you, as an HR department, sort of say, this is what we expect you to talk about here, this is what we expect you to talk about there, that gives greater clarity. And you may not want to dictate whether you do monthly or weekly one-to-ones, but if you have at least those four touch points, you're getting this sense of continuity. And incidentally, it doesn't have to be three. So we work with universities, for example, who do three because they have terms. And so it fits well there. So you could adapt that concept for your audience. And then looping back one of the things to why that makes sense is in the must do better paper by the CIPD, they pointed out that people didn't rate honestly if they thought it was going to affect somebody's career or their pay. Whereas if they thought it was development, and that links into something like 360 feedback or something else, then if they thought it was a development, they were much more likely to be honest. So the quality of the feedback varies on what the feedback giver perceives as the purpose. So for me, that's where if you think about it then, splitting out conversations about development and career aspirations, which should be really soft and supportive and positive from maybe a bit tough. You're a bit off track on that objective. What are we going to do about it? It feels like a better fit for those conversations rather than yeah, having a tough conversation. You're not performing. And now what do you want to do with your life? It just doesn't fit together. It's an incongruous conversation. So those are those are sort of my summary as to what a way in which you could practically encourage continuous conversations in your organisation. But the point of that is you are having to mandate it and you need to keep an eye on it because everyone I've ever met, things just don't happen if you tell them to do it, even if they think it's a good idea. So, you know, what you measure is it gets done, essentially. So that's why. And again, if you have systems so you can see it, it's much, much easier for you than if this is all going on in paper or something like that. Yes, that was one of my big worries when I started hearing about the move to continuous conversations, which was will the conversations ever happen or are they going to be high quality? So I love how you've described that, but also the fact that what you've described is real flexibility in making sure you're taking that step back to think about 
how is your organization structured? What is the purpose? What are you actually trying to achieve with this? It's so easy to forget to take those really important foundational steps. So that's such helpful advice for everyone to hear. And you touched on the difference of quality of feedback when it comes to things like 360 degree feedback. Can I ask you to talk us through 360 degree feedback and how you think this all fits in Is it something that you think everyone should get the advantage of having or is it something that should just be reserved for middle managers or senior leadership? And how does it fit in to this whole process, this whole performance management process that we're talking about today? So feedback should fit within the process, but I personally, and this is my personal opinion, I don't advocate 360 feedback as part of a performance management process because I think 360 feedback should be developmental. And if people think it's going to affect their pay, I don't like that. I think that means people aren't going to be honest, go back to the evidence in that that we just talked about and could do better. So personally, I think it's a really valuable development tool. Feedback that we're talking about that should be happening is delivered by line managers over the course of the performance management year. And it should be observable. You know, you did this recognizing what people did right, coaching them so what they can improve. So feedback should be happening during performance management. 360 feedback, for me, it's something that it's a highly personalized, should be high quality feedback. There's lots of it's almost we could do an t- entirely different podcast on this, so I won't go into too much detail here. But my, I would advocate it as really useful for people who, for example, are in senior roles. So they've done lots of training and they want some personal customized training or somebody who aspires to go into a new role and they need to identify where their development needs are. So something like that. Or someone who is going through a development program. You might have a 360 feedback tool, which sort of assesses their competency in relation to the skills they're going to develop on that development program. You do it at the start and the end, and you could use that to show how far they've gone. Because it's personalised, it's actually to do it well, it's quite high cost because you should combine it with a a one-to-one feedback session. So I think 360 feedback is a really, really powerful tool. I think you should be selective about doing so. It's probably best positioned for people who are slightly more senior who've got experience, who've done the basics in terms of that, or there's a specific purpose similar to the ones that I've messaged and you do it well. And that that would be my thing because otherwise people have bad experiences of it. Every time you hear people have had bad experiences of it, it's always because it's been badly managed. It's been um, wrong questions have been asked. Anonymity has been breached uh, and it hasn't been fed back. So people haven't had a, a quality, neutral coaching conversation about it. And so it, it damages them. So it's a fabulous tool but it needs to be used responsibly. Okay, so I'm hearing that loud and clear. This doesn't need to be part of the regular performance management process at all. Well, it has been amazing taking a deep dive into performance management with you today, Lucinda. And I know that it's going to be so helpful for so many people listening. Now we are at the point of the show where I ask pretty much every guest who comes on to HR Coffee Time whether they would like to share a non-fiction book recommendation with us or if you want to share a confidence building tip. So I've got to go for my all-time favourite business book because I was lucky enough to actually train people on it in my 20s and I come back to it time and time again. 
and it's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It is actually reasonably hard read, but it's not too bad if you listen to the audio. Interestingly, right to the start, we talked about scarcity mentality. Well, I came across scarcity versus abundance mentality in that book 25 years ago, and that's why I would want to collaborate with you rather than you know consider it a scarcity mentality. It's so powerful as a book, and I think lots of things in terms of being proactive, the first habit in there, they could be useful for confidence tips as well. So if you haven't come across it, I feel it's almost like essential baseline reading for anyone in a business role. It's one of my absolute go-to books as well. I think it's fantastic, Lucinda. So I'll pop a link to that in the show notes as well. And I completely second what you're saying in encouraging everyone to listen to it. There are just so many valuable insights that you'll get from reading the book. I think everyone would benefit from reading it definitely. So it's great, great to have it recommended on the show. And for anyone who would like to get in touch with you, Lucinda, or learn more about the work that you do and the work that Actus does, what is the best way of them doing that? Thank you for the opportunity to, to share. Yeah, so you can get hold of me on LinkedIn, Lucinda Carney, C-A-R-N-E-Y. It's pretty easy to get hold of me or go through our website, which is um, www.actus.co.uk. Either of those will get to me quite easily. And the Actus website has got quite a lot of resources. Um, I'll give some links to Faye anyway, because there's also something on feedback that we've just talked about. I've done an ebook on that. So those sort of things could be useful if people want to you know, dig out some other resources there. And of course, if people want to hear more of your words of wisdom and your insights, they can listen to your brilliant podcast, HR Uprising. You can find all the links, but you can just Google it on your podcast provider. But also we have a hruprising.com shows all of the past 200 odd episodes. So you can go and see what we've talked about there as well. Well, all that leaves me to say is a huge thank you. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Faye. That brings us to the end of this episode. If you decide to put any of Lucinda's ideas into action, we would love to hear all about it. So please do go ahead and get in touch with either of us on LinkedIn to let us know. I've put links to both our LinkedIn profiles in the show notes for you. And you can always find me on LinkedIn as myself, Faye Wallace. That's Faye without an E on the end and Wallace with an IS on the end instead of an A-C-E. And if listening to this episode has left you ready to dive into some more episodes of HR Coffee Time, there are quite a few that you might find helpful because they touch on lots of the things that Lucinda talked about. So I've put them into three groups for you. The first group of episodes are all about career development conversations, and they are episode 25, how to use career conversations to improve retention and engagement with Sarah Archer, Episode 33, A Helpful Framework for Career Conversations at Work with Steve McIntosh. Episode 79, How to Create a Powerful Career Development Programme that Has an Impact with Kate Mansfield. The second group of episodes are about getting and giving feedback. There's episode 57, Using the Johari Window to Develop and Grow in Your HR Career, and episode 78, five ways to get useful feedback at work to help your HR or people career. So although both of those have got an HR and people career focus, there are lots of techniques in there as well that you can use to roll out throughout the entire organisation. And then I said there was a third group of episodes. That's a small exaggeration. There's just one episode in this group and it is episode 17. It's all about goal setting. It's called How to Set Your Career Goals for 2022. 
Now, although we are way past 2022, all of the things that I talk about in there will hopefully still be really helpful. And that's it. I hope you've enjoyed listening today. If you found it useful, I'd be really grateful if you could recommend HR Coffee Time to a friend. Perhaps just send them the link to this episode right now. Or if you're able to rate and review the show on whichever podcasting platform you're listening to it on, that would be wonderful because it makes a real difference in helping HR Coffee Time get discovered by new listeners. And I would love to reach as many HR and people professionals as I can with this free podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day and I will be back again soon with the next episode for you.